is up? Welcome back to the 3C Podcast. It's Friday and you know what that means. Another conversation with a content marketer that's bringing it. I got my man Stuart from Procket on the pod today. We're having a conversation about content marketing, things we like, we don't, some maybe changes we can make. I got tagged in one of his tweets and I said, this guy's got a similar mindset to me. Let's hop on a podcast. Let's have a conversation. And that's what we're doing really fun one. If you like what you've been hearing on the podcast, hit that subscribe button, leave a review, go to thejuicehq.com, become a member today. All right, let's kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. I'm excited about this one. This is a Twitter connection made, turned into conversation, turned into podcast episode here. I am joined by Stuart Balcom, who's the co-founder of Procket. We're going to talk about blockbuster to Netflix shift in content marketing. That is something that is near and dear to my heart. And someone tagged me in a tweet Stuart put out there. And I was like, man, this is like something I've been writing about. So excited to chop that up. But without further ado, how are you doing today, Stuart? I am doing great. Thank you so much for, for having me. I'm, I'm excited for this one too. It's always fun when you get to you know actually have a conversation with people that you meet on the internet. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited. I feel like it's this networking in public and turned into a content collaboration. It's really how marketing is happening these days. Have you found that, that like, have you found just like making connections through tweets or Slack groups and things like that turning into, you know, content collaboration opportunities? Is that something you've been a part of outside of this episode? Oh, for sure. I, I think that that's pretty much the only way that I, uh, you know, start start out conversations on and content collaborations. Like, I'm not on, not very active, and probably should be more active on, you know, the the B two B link, uh, the B two B networking place that is that is LinkedIn. But no, for me, Twitter is definitely the go to. Whether it's you know scheduling guests for for podcasts, whether it's just you know talking about a new idea and sort of you know interacting and and engaging with other folks who are talking about interesting stuff. I think it's it's such a great way to to meet and and to have conversations with folks who you know are nowhere near where I am physically and uh, and probably otherwise wouldn't have met. So yeah, absolutely, it's a pretty sort of common common networking tool, I guess. So I w- I want to get into uh, the topic. I want to get into Procket and what you're doing over there, but. I got to go back to what you just said about LinkedIn. And it seems like off when I'm not recording or um, when I'm just having conversations, that sentiment that you picked up about LinkedIn, like I share in that, it seems like a lot of other people share in that. To me, for my, for me in the connections, like my, my strongest connections are happening via Twitter and through you know Slack communities. What is it about LinkedIn that is kind of for you that's kind of giving it that I don't want to say maybe negative connotation a little bit in B2B marketing. Yeah, I, I don't know. And I guess I want to sort of preface this with LinkedIn definitely works for B2B. There are folks who are absolutely killing it on LinkedIn and you know have great engagement and are really, really active and putting out great stuff uh, on LinkedIn. So I sort of don't want, I don't think that there is a, this is necessarily better than this. And like, this just doesn't work, right? Like anytime anybody says, says anything's dead, uh, it's it's not really, it's probably just how you're using it. But but for me, I think that Twitter, Twitter and I think we're going to get into this with the, the blockbuster versus uh, to Netflix shift. But for me, Twitter is just the place that I go. Like that, that is just the place that's sort of in my habit, like whether it's, you know, sort of more like personal type topics, whether it's uh, businessy stuff, which admittedly I'm like most of my, most of my engagement on Twitter is around businessy type things, but 
for me, it's just the place that sort of the watering hole, so to speak, of, uh, of where I'm engaging. Whereas LinkedIn feels like work, right? It feels like I know that I'm going to end up with a ton of unsolicited and very badly targeted messages that, you know, immediately don't really cause any pain because you just don't look at them. But like, it's not the place that I go and think, oh, there's going to be something new and novel and actually human that I can sort of take to that. Because ultimately the goal with anything that I'm sort of thinking about on, on social is how can I go from this thing is interesting to just like we're doing now, let's have a conversation about it and sort of go from that sort of one-to-many to one-to-one uh, type relationship. Yeah, I love that. Um, there's, uh, there's an authenticity, I think, about meeting someone on Twitter, sliding into their DMs, talking with them, meeting them on Zoom. And to me, I find that happens more on the Twitter platform than LinkedIn. Maybe for others, it's a different case, but it's good to uh, hear it from another person and not just in my own head. One thing when we originally met that stood out to me about you was like you had, I can tell just this desire to build, this desire to work for yourself. And I think that's awesome. And I'd love to maybe dig into that a little bit and just share before we dive into the conversation about what you're doing at Procket. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. I So my sort of path to Procket has been been a little interesting. Uh, and I guess generally sort of, I guess, career-wise, like I started out uh, right out of college at a, at a startup accelerator uh, back in the days when you know, Facebook advertising and, you know, growth hacking and all these things were, you know, sort of really just like the Facebook ads platform was relatively new at that point. And that was sort of my first introduction to both tech and to startups and to, to marketing. And essentially we were tasked with, uh, you know, it, which was actually really cool, like really amazing first experience, which was, can we figure out digital marketing by selling t-shirts online? And, you know, like let's do lots of data-driven things and let's, uh, you know, A-B test all the button colors and A-B, like all these things that, uh, you know, seemed interesting. And and I sort of, the thing that happened was that I found I actually wanted to have more of an impact on generating value for people, right? So I sort of shifted into product and I've sort of sat in this space between, between growth and product for a while. And at the, the last time I was sort of in-house at a company, what that ultimately looked like was doing a whole lot of customer research to understand the people that we were trying to market to, that we were trying to build product for. And then when I decided to, to go and do my own thing, that was the thing that I sort of doubled down on was like, let's start a business, let's start a company helping other folks to do, do customer research more effectively, just do customer research at all by talking to people. And Procket really came out of that in that it's, you know, in our sort of efforts and in our uh, work with clients, we were interviewing lots of folks and finding that the stuff that folks would say in interviews was actually the best content to use in marketing. And that's sort of, a, you know, has become this whole shift, right, with podcasting growing pretty rapidly uh, with folks, you know, which webinars have been around for forever, but like folks who are sharing authentic voices, real the voices of real people in their marketing. And then Procket really is just sort of an amplification of that. How can we take these conversations that you're already having that are with subject matter experts that are with the people that, you, that your customers ultimately want to know and buy from, how can we take those and turn them into content in a more scalable, more uh, sort of efficient way for your team's time? So I guess to sum that up, I guess the sort of 10 second Procket summary is we help you get more mileage out of the content that you're already producing, uh, whether it's audio or video, by turning it into native content for 
every channel. So whether that's social, whether that's your blog, whether that's email, we take the original content that you created and turn it into new assets for for everywhere that you are. And for, more importantly, and I think the thing that we're going to get into in this conversation, where your customers are. Yes. And what a, what a perfect segue. I love this story. And um, definitely as a marketer, I can relate with that and, and the need of doing something like a podcast and maximizing the time spent, not only for myself, but for the guests. So love to hear that. And I just want to start out by maybe telling the story of how we got connected. So you know, it's Twitter for me, it's, it's a community, right? You're not, I'm not going to see everyone's tweets that I should or want to, or I'm interested in a lot of the times it's an assist. We, we rely on someone else to like someone else's content tag. And that's what happened. And how, what brought our two worlds together is Joanna Rutter, who Ruder, who was an, a guest on the three C podcast early on talking about content marketing, knew what we were about at the juice knew the stories that we were telling and the things that we were talking about around our product. And she saw your post and tagged me in it. And I, I read you at a thread and I started reading through this and I was like, Oh my gosh, like this could be on our blog. Like this is how we're talking. So I immediately uh, pinged you and I was like, Hey, like, let's talk. I, I want to learn more, but maybe like as a jump off point, I'd love to read like the first tweet of your thread because I think, that's what we want to get into. But you tweeted, content marketing is experiencing a blockbuster to Netflix style shift, on-demand, personal rec- recommendations, access on any device, uh, popularity rankings. There's new consumer expectations. So I'd love just to start there and maybe unpack that a little bit because I'd love to see if just the way you are seeing things are is similar to the way we're seeing things. It certainly sounds like it is. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think there's, you know, there's a number of things that are sort of, as you say, bundled up in that, in that first tweet that I think are interesting. And I think that the biggest thing and sort of what's, you know, ultimately driving all of this is the consumer expectation is shifting, right? We're living in sort of an on-demand economy. We're living in a place or in a, in a world where there is almost infinite choice, right? If you just look at the the number of, or the amount of new content, which is produced every day, that's sort of millions and millions of posts across all these hundreds of different channels that people can possibly choose to, to be on, there is just so much more choice and people want what they want now, right? And that's true for pretty much every industry, right? You think about groceries, we got Instacart, we got, uh, if you want meals, you got DoorDash, you got Uber Eats. Like there's, there's all these things that if you want transport, you got Lyft and Uber. Like there are all these things that have shifted from sort of centralized, uh, you know, I have to go and get them <laughs> to actually I can ask the network and the network will bring them to me. And will bring, not only bring some content, it will be bring my content or the content that I want, the content that matches what I've done before, the content that matches, uh, you know, the things that I'm interested in, not just overall, but at this particular time, right? If you look, think about Netflix with the personalized recommendations, they know, and they can do this because they're a platform because they're aggregating, you know, million, probably billions of, uh, of data points, but they can bring you content that is not just related to what you want, what you've watched previously, uh, in terms of specific titles, they can bring you content that's related to the specific, uh, you know, people that have been including that content, the specific topics. They can bring you what's trending now for people who are like you, for people who are just everywhere. Right? There is there are all sorts of advantages to this model 
uh, also the Netflix model when you think about that in the context of what people actually want and how they expect to to engage with the media that they they want. I mean, it, this has happened sort of outside of Netflix, but even not to you know get into touchy topics, but you know politics and, and all these things that previously the way that you would find out about big headline national news was you could read a newspaper, right? Now that's social and and sort of micro micro media um, that is just things are changing, and that's sort of really ultimately I think that uh, what we're going to get into is how that's affecting content marketing versus, you know, in, in sort of a specific, in the specific context of, of content marketing versus media as a whole. Yeah. So I have been, this is like the, this paradigm shift is something I've been spending a majority of my time in and understanding. And the story that I, I, I always try to put myself in the shoes of the consumer and try to figure out, okay, like, is what I'm reading, is what I'm saying, how can I validate this? And I think about like my day and my day consists of me putting on my Apple watch, going for a run in the morning with my AirPods in, Spotify's curating music for me that's based on my interests and likes. I am done with my run before I get into work. Google News is curating news articles that are not just what everyone's saying, but what it knows about me and what what. I like and what interests me when I'm done with work, right? Like you, you can say, you know, whether it's Instacart or, you know, whatever food delivery service, like that's happening, food being curated to you and at your door when we're done, right? My wife and I are watching Netflix. Um, we get done with the series. Um, and then all of a sudden it's, it's saying, Hey, here, here's some new shows that you might be interested in. So like, Content like is coming at us at all angles all the time. That's based on what we want. It's like, we're not turning on the FM radio anymore and just like letting like the mainstream radio stations, like tell us what to, to listen to. Like maybe that happens in segments of, of our society, but for us, like we're more interested in curated content that's easy and accessible. So with that example, and that's me and basically every day of my life, I think about the world that I, I operate in in B2B marketing and the way content is delivered couldn't, be, couldn't look, feel, or be any different than that experience. So let's jump into like B2B content and just like the yeah. distance between the two. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that the, <laughs> the, the interesting thing here is that there are a lot of brands. And I, I think that the biggest dissonance here is between being sort of brand and company centric and customer and consumer centric. Like if you look at the way that most B2B brands publish content or think about content, it's, well, we have to have like our brand, our company is at the center of the universe. So we're going to publish on our own platform. We're going to have a blog. We're going to have, maybe we have a YouTube channel, maybe, which Emily is a little better, but like we're going to have things that are on own channels um, and we're going to have, you know, everything. The goal is to get people to the channel and have them, read it. Whereas that's actually not how consumers consume content, right? Like, sure, there are, like, if you're maybe in a calm or you're HubSpot, like you have enough sort of domain authority, you've been doing this in a pretty media way for a while. And maybe people do associate you with a topic, right? That they think, okay, if you're, if I'm looking for something on content marketing, I'm going to go to HubSpot. If I'm looking for something on product, I'm going to go to Intercom, right? But those are definitely the exceptions rather than the norm. 
right? The way that most people are consuming content is either they, you know, they have a specific painful problem that they're trying to solve and they go search Google. Although I think that that's changing. I think that more and more people are trusting sort of expert networks and we can certainly get into, uh, you know, where you search uh, and sort of how that looks versus, you know, always being organic uh, Google search. But also that people are just spending more and more time, or not even people spending more and more time, but people spend more time on platforms that are not branded, right? On a Twitter or on a LinkedIn or on a Facebook or on, on all these places that are not your company's website. So what that means is that you actually have to meet them where they are, right? Like it's it's much more effective to go to the consumer, or at least certainly from a cost and acquisition perspective, it's much much more effective to go meet the consumer where they are than try to sort of drag them kicking and screaming um, to to your own platform. Um, I was talking to uh, Amanda Natividad, who's now at uh, ShipBob, but she had this great quote that was, I'm not scrolling Twitter to leave Twitter. Right, I'm like, and and I think that's totally true, and I think that that's that's sort of part of this this big shift here is that the goal is not to get you to is not just about promotion, right? It's not like let's give you content so that you come to our website and consume more content. It's actually getting you to consume on and giving you content to consume in the place that you already are, in the place that you're hanging out, right? So a a podcast app, but like, and, and I mean, to your sort of examples about how you think about your day, like, sure, you maybe go if you want to listen to a podcast episode, you go to you know Spotify or a podcast or whatever, and you go listen to a podcast episode. But if you're scrolling Twitter, you're not in that I want to listen to a podcast mindset. So if somebody puts a link to a podcast in front of you, sure, you may save it for later or something, but you're not just going to leave your flow on your couch to put in headphones while you're sitting next to your family and listen to a podcast, right? Like when you sort of put it in those terms, it sounds a little absurd that that's how we market to people and try to get them to engage with our stuff, right? I, I think about that all the time, just in my, in my own promotion. So the, the um, as you were talking, I was like, oh yes, talk to me. Like I, this is what I, <laughs> I, I believe this. this is, I'm about this. So as, as marketers, knowing all of this, and I talk a lot about like, frictionless content and how as a B2B marketer, you should make your content frictionless, right? For humans, don't put forms in front of it because the way people are sharing content is person to person and it's done via Twitter direct message or Slack community sharing. And and the other thing too, on top of that is like, I've met so many people where it's, we share each other's content and I like that person. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh yeah, like, Oh, that's what your company does. That's cool. That might be something I, I I want or need in the future. And at least now I know I've got a person to go to if when that time comes to explore what your product does. So that one-to-one exchange is how, and from trusted sources is how I think branded B2B content is cutting through the noise and is being shared today and then making an impact. So like if you're a B2B marketer, how... How can you maybe, what steps or things can you be doing or thinking about to, to optimize for that experience if you are stuck in this old way of going through the motions that we're all used to and we've all been doing for the last, you know, five to 10 years? 
Yeah, absolutely. There's two things there that you said that I think are absolutely critical to this. And that the first is, is trust, right? Ultimately, building trust is sort of a basically the job as a marketer, right? Like build trust with as many people as you can so that when they're ready, they know who to go to for the particular problem that, that you can help them solve with your product, right? I, I think Jay Akunzo said this in an interview that I did with him, you know, like the sort of, oh, by the way, marketing, right? Add value, add value, add value, add value, build relationships. Oh, by the way, there's a product over here, right? But the conversation, the initial conversation, the initial value add is not about a product, right? It's about just sharing valuable stuff with your audience. So that's number one is like thinking about that experience and how that builds trust with the audience. So that, and that sort of impacts both the topics that you talk about, you know, the way that you talk about them and to your point, like, how do you connect that with a human, right? Like humans are pretty good at building human connections. So how do you go from, this is a big faceless brand that has a blog that has a logo. Great. Where's the person who, even if that's not actually the person they talked to about the product, how do you make that connection, that trusted connection as quickly as possible with your content? The second uh, I think is make, thinking about your content and the experience of consumption, right? So you made a great point about, sharing in DMs, which number one is if your best content is only exists behind a form, that's going to be problematic, right? There are absolutely great reasons to put content behind a form, right? We do need to, it's, it's definitely valuable to capture email addresses. Uh, and a good way, a way to do that is by putting content, by, you know, lead magnets have been around forever, right? But I think it's important to consider why we're doing that, right? And I think in the cases where the, if the experience is, I found out about this amazing thing, it's a huge resource, I'm not going to read it right now, but I'll give you my email address to save it for later, to have it on demand when I need it, great, put it behind a foot, like, and present it as that, right? Like, position it as that. If you're giving me a resource that has, you know, 100,000 ways on, not 100,000, 100 ways to, you know, distribute my content or 100 ways to improve my Facebook ads, like, yes, I want to save that because I'm not taking action on that right now. So make it really easy for me to do that. But the other is how can we make the really valuable content digestible enough and consumable enough so that I immediately understand the value and I want to go and I know that I should come back to it later, right? Or I can consume it, you know, easily where I already am. So things like, you know, chopping up podcast, the best bits of your podcast to webinars. Are, I think webinars are probably the best example of this because they're so sort of night and day, but like if you have an hour webinar that only exists behind a, uh, a lead magnet form the, I mean, this is a thing that we've seen at Progit over and over. There is so much gold in webinars that nobody knows about. So how can you take that content and convert it to five blog posts, one on each topic that's talked about in the web in the webinar? And, and this is, I'm using webinars as an example, but pretty much any original piece of content, you can even do this with a blog post, right? How do you chop it up to make it more consumable? So chop it up to blog posts, chop it up to Twitter threads, chop it up to YouTube shorts, right? Chop it up to, to social media posts that are native. And this is a really important thing here is native to the channel, right? The, the way that you share content on LinkedIn is not the same way that you share content on Twitter, right? There are some things that are similar, right? And sort of comparable, like you can, at a high level, you can compare a Twitter thread to a LinkedIn slideshow. Um, or at least that's sort of how we think about the difference. Like you have this opportunity to sort of tell and to put out a narrative around a topic, but 
they're very different mediums, right? Like one's graphic and visual and one is primarily text-based. So I think those are sort of the, the big things to think about. How can you make sure that your content is increasing trust without you know, necessarily talking about the product, but increasing trust with a person? Uh, and then how can you take the, your existing content and just make it more consumable in the places that people are already consuming content? So the best and smartest marketers I've ever come across think their two qualities that stand out to me are highly adaptable, right? They, they, they observe consumer expectations and adapt to those changes. And then also very consistent, consistent with their delivery, the content they're producing message. I think what's interesting is that there is brands and marketers that have excelled or continue to excel are ones that are playing the long game. They are knowing that all of their activities, what whether it's getting on a podcast episode, blogging, newsletters, curating other people's content, doing all of those things consistently over a long period of time, all compounds and contributes to their overall, gives them brand equity, contributes to overall their brand value and ultimately builds trust. They understand this is not something that happens overnight. This is something that hope it happens over a period of time. And that's opposite, right, of the transactional mindset or, uh, hey, we're going to do this campaign and get all these leads right now so we can get these leads and pass them to our sales team. So, not saying leads are bad, right? We're all trying to generate conversations for our sales team. I just think that it's a mindset thing. I would imagine based on your conversations and what you do and your solution that you're bringing to the, the market that you're having these types of conversations with prospective customers. Do you find that there are easier conversations for you and what you're doing based on that long-term mindset as opposed to maybe marketers who have a more like short-term mindset and more transactional thinking of like, we need more, we need more now. Talk to me about that. Yeah, that's a great question. So I think there's sort of two ways that I think about this. One is how can you use content to build for the long-term, right? How can you do the thing? How can you make the longer-term investments that compound, right? Which is great, but you also have to drive results today, right? So the way that I sort of talk to folks who are, and actually, we've sort of seen this as a trend is that folks who have primarily been operating in sort of an outbound, pretty sales-led motion, the way that the thing that we often find is that there are folks who are having amazing conversations, amazingly valuable conversations, and that chopping that stuff up and sort of making it easier to consume is just really good sales enablement, right? It's much easier to talk to a prospect who already knows what you do, or at least like how you think, than it is somebody who's totally cold, right? And it was in this, you know, sort of rising acquisition costs, rising, you know, advertising costs. It's just much easier to have start a conversation and to move somebody from I have this problem over here to I'm going to buy a solution to that problem from your sales team. If along the way you have content, you have um, conversations that are sort of all directionally aligned, even if they're not actually talking about the product. So I think that that's sort of how we bridge that gap is sort of how can you use content to enable the things that you want right now. And I think the other thing is that often or most companies, and maybe this is you know selection bias on who we're, we're talking to, but most companies already have 
some great original content, right? Most companies have founders, they have a support team, they have a sales team who is talking about the problem space all the time and probably have some unique insight, right? And I think that's sort of a big thing for, for content marketers is how can you create content that only you can create, that only your company can create, right? Rather than just creating another blog post, how can you take something that your company is sort of uniquely qualified to talk about and how can you use that um, to drive the conversation? So, and I think that those are things that don't necessarily have to take a lot of time, right? And, and also can have immediate results um, if, you're, if, they, if they enable you to better match what customers expect, right? Like I think that there's this sort of, you know, there certainly is content that you're creating with the goal of it compounding over time. You're not really measuring ROI for, you know, if at all for a long period. And I think that you should, companies should absolutely do more of that, create better original content that is really differentiated, really unique. I mean, we saw like Headspace created a Netflix documentary, right? Like that is clearly a big investment in content that is not, I mean, maybe they're measuring, you know, source Netflix, but like, <laughs> uh, that's not something that I imagine they're directly tying back. So yes, absolutely do those. But the, the short-term impact is if you're selling a product, there is so much, if you're in a sales motion or you're, you know, you have folks who are at the bottom of the funnel, sharing this content is only going to enable, uh, enable those conversations. That's when I think you've made it is that when in your CRM, you can get the lead source Netflix uh, as being the driver of some of your sales right. conversations. We exchanged some messages and just on the original content front, one of the examples that you you brought up and shared the article with me that I think may be good to touch on and close close out with is that, you know, so often in B2B marketing, like I talk about like I, areas of inspiration. Like I rarely go look at other B2B marketing companies. Like I'm, I'm gaining inspiration by hip hop artists and B2C companies. Like those are the things I study in order to like, think about how I should approach the market. But with original content, you shared an article with me about REI launching a co-op studio and their mentality producing uh, original content. So that's a shift, right? Um, but I think it's a, it's a, a B2C company that's understanding consumer expectations and, and making a shift. So maybe like when you read that headline and, and dug through the article, like what was going on through your head? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that this is sort of part of a, part of a broader shift that we're seeing in the way that the way that content teams are organizing, the way that businesses are thinking about their content investments, right? We've already seen some pretty high profile uh, acquisitions of media companies by B2B companies. Uh, I think that the, and yes, the REI uh, example is in, is in B2C, but I, I think that we're going to see more of this, that team or companies are investing in teams who do not have direct, maybe this isn't how they would think about it, but who are not directly responsible for dollars in, right? But they're making this investment because it's a way to have an owned channel. It's a way to build brand awareness, build brand loyalty, build sort of your audience and keep your audience engage and knowing that they or that you are the place to go for this type of content, which can only mean good things for the business, right? I think that there are, and this is not entirely new. I think and other examples that I, the other example that I point to a lot, which is an example of a company that didn't just go off, didn't go off and make an investment in sort of building a media team, but clearly has, has made investments in this space uh, is Patagonia. I think that, I think they do a great, a phenomenal job of 
telling stories of creating content that is not about buying jackets and outdoor clothing, right? Uh, they have this documentary, Blue Heart, which n- nothing to do with their product. Like you wouldn't, from looking at it, you would have no idea what Patagonia sells, but it's a great piece of content that if you are interested in the things and you are sort of in the space, in the community that Patagonia sells into, you will absolutely find that interesting and you'll, I'm sure, will have a better opinion or a, you know, more loyalty to the brand than if you didn't see that. So I imagine that has to be, you know, REI is looking in that direction, right? Like how do we build, how do we create content that builds affinity to our brand without it needing to, and I think that this is the best way to do it is without it needing to be directly measurable um, in terms of ROI, because you can always go out and sell more, right? You can always put stuff in front of people that says, hey, we're doing a sale, buy our product, right? Hey, we're the best at this, buy our product. The things that you can't do immediately are make these investments and build this trust over time by creating things that are truly valuable to the consumer. Because that's, you have to have both sides, right? And I think that this is just sort of, folks have been at least probably your last five, 10 years, yeah, probably last five years. People have been very indexed on, we're going to do lots of data-driven, lots of you know paid heavy stuff. And I think we're just starting to see the, the sort of pendulum swing, swing back the other way a little bit. So the Patagonia example, and this is when you know you have a good brand, is that I have two jackets. One is a Patagonia. The other one is not a Patagonia, but looks just like the Patagonia. When I wear the one jacket that's not a Patagonia, no comments. It's fine. Whatever. I don't need comments. I'm, you know, I'm in my mid thirties. I'm just trying to get by at this point. But when I wear the Patagonia one, oh, that jacket's great. Oh, how, how cool is that? Like that, that's an amazing jacket. Like, when'd you get it? And it's just amazing. It's just because it has the Patagonia logo on it, but it's the impact through their content, their branding, how they've shown up that have really kind of inspired and put that perception in the hearts and minds of their customers or their future future customers. So I appreciate that call out and example. This has been fun. I hope the listeners have learned something and just the shift from kind of that blockbuster mentality to serving kind of your Netflix and Spotify streaming customer. That's the point and what we were trying to get across here and a lot of good nuggets in here. Stuart, I, I really appreciate the time before we let you go. Marketing podcast, got to plug something. So where can people, where can you send people to learn more? Yeah, absolutely. Before I do that, one really, really quick final comment. I know we've used a lot of sort of B2C examples here. I think that the biggest thing to remember for marketers in B2B or really whatever you're selling is that ultimately you're selling to people, right? So the way that you market to them from a, whether you're a D2C brand that's just launched, whether a huge enterprise company, the way that you market ultimately always comes back to people. So the more you can understand people, the more that you can engage with people and meet them, meet people where they are uh, the better. But in terms of, in terms of plugging something, use Procket, procket.com uh, is the, the place to go. Like I mentioned earlier, we help folks get, get more mileage out of the content that they're already creating. So if you have a podcast, if you produce webinars, uh, we can help you turn that into content that's more consumable on all the channels that your, your customers are on. 
Stuart, this was a ton of fun. Could talk about this topic forever. Appreciate the time. Uh, Take care. You too. Thanks so much for having me. I had a ton of fun with that conversation. Hopefully you learned something. If you like what we're doing over here, hit that subscribe button. Go join the Juice. Link in the show notes. Or you can visit thejuicehq.com. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. And we'll be back next week with more 3C Podcasts.